Yeah, it's on now. Okay, it's recording. <laughs> cool. Oh my. Sorry, this happens every time. What the heck? Alright, okay, whatever. Oh, this is going higher. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll manage. Thank you. <laughs> it's like a, this always happens. I always forget. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> I'm just pull my notes. Cool, guys. Um, welcome. Welcome back to Mosaic. Um, yeah, I hope you guys had a good Christmas time and hung out um, with your family or friends or just had a good time of rest. Um, I went back to hang out with my family, played a lot of mahjong. It's like this Asian gambling game. Um, we like throw out tiles and I love playing with my family because whenever I beat my mom, my mom gets very mad and she gets this, like very angry face and she's coming in right now. Hi mom! <laughs> but uh, it's always great to beat her in mahjong uh, as her son. <laughs> but yeah, cool. So we're going into a message, uh, one of my favorite stories in the gospel. Um, but it's also, I think, a story that um, is very relevant to us as a multi-ethnic church and also in a very diverse and crazy eccentric city. Um, before we begin, I'm going to just give a word of prayer and do a small activity. So you guys can just bow your heads with me and, and pray with me. Um, yeah, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, God. You are such a good God, and I thank you for um, just the time we got to rest this past weekend, you know, from, off from work and just to be able to um, spend time with quali- quality time with friends and family. And I pray that um, on the Sunday, God, that we would not... Um, get, you know, the Sunday blues about work tomorrow, but just still be filled at this time of worship with you, God, and that you would use me, not of my own words, not of my own wisdom, God, but everything that I say, I pray, would come from your Holy Spirit, God, and that it would bless um, all of us here today, God, to be able to be um, nurtured and grown by your Spirit, by your Word, God, and what you want us to do here um, as your disciples, God. Yeah, God, may, may not be of my word, maybe only of you, God. Um, thank you, God, you're so good, and we love you, Lord. It's your name we pray, amen. Cool. So the title of my sermon today is Jesus, Judgment, and Jigglypuff. Uh, so I try to be a little bit clever. I try to give it three J's. And, but it'll make sense once I, once I play it out. You guys will understand why I have these three J's. Um, before we start on my first slide, I have a couple questions for us. Just a small activity just to kind of um, get us getting to know each other. Because I'm sure there's a lot of new people, old people kind of are here. And I want us to get to like, know each other and yeah, um, have some fellowship time. And so on the first slide, um, I have a couple questions. Uh, I'm going to pop up. Okay, thanks. Uh, So I want you guys just to spend five minutes and find someone around you that you don't usually talk to and ask them these couple questions. Who is someone you really care about? It could be a friend, a family member, all this kind of stuff. Who is someone you really care about and explain why? And also, how did you two meet? If it's a family member like your mom, I'm sure you guys can recount your birth, so just, really, just talk about a, an early, share an early memory. So I'll give you guys five, like five, ten minutes to talk and share about these questions, and then we'll come back together. So I'll come up too.
Give you guys another like 20, 30 seconds and then come back together. <laughs> How are you, Emily? Where's Josiah? That's true. I have a I have a video of him singing. I'll show you later. <laughs> cool. Okay. So I hope that was fun. I always really love times where we can like really fellowship and ask intentional questions to each other. 
Um, and I'll explain why I ask these questions later. A lot of mystery in this sermon, but um, yeah, I hope that was good for you guys. So the scripture we're going to look at in today is a story of Jesus and the tax collector, Matthew. Um, and so before we go into the story, we're just going to give a quick uh, recap of what he's been doing. What's the context of what Jesus has been doing right before the story? And so a couple of things is that Jesus has been teaching very powerfully the Sermon on the Mount. He's been teaching about like uh, a lot of different topics about um, adultery, murder, all this kind of stuff, teaching with immense authority. Not only has he been teaching with immense authority, he's been demonstrating a lot of authority too. He's been healing people with leprosy, with paralysis, um, calming the storms. So this guy has been shown to be a great teacher, like a great prophet, this very powerful man. And then comes the story of Matthew and the tax collector in Matthew 9, 9 to 13. You guys can read along with me. I have a text up there. So the first nine, uh, verse, verse, verse 9 goes, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now we're going to take a pause here and first go through a quick cultural lesson. Some of you guys already know this, but we got, really got to go through it because it's really intense. Because at this moment, Jesus is talking to a tax collector. And back then, tax collectors were just the, the worst. Um, they were for multiple, no multiple reasons. I have them on the screen. First of all, they exploited people for their own greed. Uh, back then, the tax collectors, because they sided with the Roman government, they had the power to collect taxes from the people. And because they had the power of the government, they had, they had this leverage where they could collect extra tax. And so let's say if you had to pay $200 uh, for, the, for the government, the tax collectors say, uh, why don't you pay me $500? And you couldn't do anything about it because they had the power of the government. And so you got money stolen from you, this extra $300 taken by these tax collectors. So not only were they stealing money from the common folk, they were also seen as religious and political traitors, siding with the pagan Roman government. We have this pious Jewish community who's trying to survive and has this dominating Roman government. And all of a sudden, these, your own people, these tax collectors, have sided with this government, are exploiting you, are turning to these other religions and all this kind of stuff. These people are not, not look well um, within the Jewish community. I try to think of some modern equivalent. And just you can think about... Um, if you think about back to like the 2008 recession, you think about Matthew the tax, tax collector would be the, the bankers who manipulated the government and caused the recession. Or maybe even here close to their home, if, we're, if you understand that there's you know, rising rent costs here, right? maybe it's the, the landlords who are increasing our rent more and more and causing more economic unrest. The, and you know, gentrification is a big topic we have in this community. Basically what's happening is that Jesus is loving those corrupt um, people who are exploiting us today um, comes to Greek and economic terms. And so, again, I'm not trying to say all landlords are bad or businessmen are bad. You know, my dad's a businessman. You know, he's a good guy. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is that this is a scandalous thing, right? Jesus is hanging out with the corrupt people, the people who are oppressing the common folk. What is going on here? So we go to the next verse. Um, oh, sorry, we go to here. We really see at this moment that Jesus is displaying radical love. Jesus didn't wait for this corrupt person to get his act together. Jesus didn't wait to come up to him and say, hey, you need to fix yourself up, come to these standards, and then we can hang out. No. At the very beginning, Jesus is already showing his radical love by initiating the conversation. Despite the bad rep, despite all the sin and the bad things that are happening, Jesus goes up to Matthew and says, follow me, let's hang out. He initiates the conversation. So what happens after? So while Jesus was having, oh, sorry, can you go back? While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. 
All right, wait, what's going on here? Didn't we just say in the previous verse that Jesus had to follow him? But now Jesus is at Matthew's house? Wait, what's going on? Uh, this is a little confusing, right? What's going on here? But I think this is a, just another great point of what Jesus is doing and how he's exhibiting his radical love for Matthew. Because Jesus didn't just say, just didn't initiate the conversation, just, hey, follow me, just come into my role, and that's it. Jesus loved Matthew so much that he's willing to intersect with Matthew's world, too, to get to know him in his term, in his context, right? We see here that Jesus brought his friends and went to hang out with Matthew's friends. And they're having this intimate dinner party, getting to know each other, sharing a meal, um, being friends together. We see here that Jesus demonstrates that, that um, to love Matthew, that he's intersecting with Matthew's life. It's not just an initiation into his own life, but he's also stepping into Matthew's life and getting to know him. Um, in this past semester in my seminary, there was a conference called Redeeming Sex. And so it was a really great conversation about um, sexuality and how Christians, um, how we should talk about it as Christians, what does what it intersect with the Bible. And so the speaker, um, she went through, she was talking about her passion, going, talking about how she went through a lot of things about sexual abuse, uh, gender identity, and all this kind of stuff. Her, her involvement with the homosexual community. It was, a, it was a really great speaker who talked about how she received redemption and really received healing uh, through Jesus. And so while she's going around um, talking about this at her various events, she's talking about the story about this father who came up to her. Um, because she, while she's talking, she's talking about this idea of the social sexuality um, and this, these paradigms of how there's a blue playground and a pink playground. You guys will probably get, you're going to understand what, it's a very easy concept that the blue playground is for the guys, right? Um, and the pink playground is for the girls. Pink playground, you know, has the things of like princess and makeup, all like the typical girly stuff, right? Blue playground is more like the cars and like the Power Rangers, all that kind of stuff, right? She's talking about this idea of this, the cultural sexuality that we made and how we actually have a little bit more flexibility for, for the girls in the pink, pink playground, right? Because if a, a girl goes from the pink playground to the blue playground, she's just seen as a tomboy, and that's all right. But if a guy goes from the blue playground to the pink playground, he's seen as feminine, weak, gay. And we have a lot of intolerance for that, right? So again, we go back to the story. The father is talking to the speaker and he's saying, oh, like, I have a son, and he, he's done what you, you're talking about. My son has gone from the blue playground to the pink playground, and I don't know what to do. I don't, I, I don't just understand. I'm just terrified. I'm just scared. I don't know what to do. And so as he was talking to the speaker, he had this realization. He shared it that I know what I have to do as a father. I have to follow my son into the pink playground. I don't know what's going on. I don't really understand, but I know I have to go after my son. I have to chase after my son. This is not a, this is, the story's not about whether the pink playground, blue playground is right, all that kind of stuff. What I love about the story is the fact that the father loved the son so much that he was willing to exit his own culture, his own ideas, in order to chase and find his son, just like Jesus did here. Jesus didn't need to go and hang out with the tax collectors, right? He came from, from his own world, his own lifestyle, his own friends. But Jesus took the time to intersect with Matthew's life, to get to know him, to get to know the tax collector friends and the other quote-unquote sinners there in order to love Matthew. And so we keep going. At this point in the story, it's, it's a really great story, right? We see how Jesus is displaying love um, these people. But then the Pharisees enter, and now we have some tension here. And so the, the story goes, continues, that when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And so the next verse is, um, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And right here we get to see the heart of Jesus. Really the heart of God. We have this tension with the Pharisees on the side of judgment. They want there to be righteousness. Matthew is a sinner. He oppressed people. He's hanging out with sinners. There needs to be judgment here. Jesus is showing this other way, this other way of grace and love, and saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't just say, just, I, I, I desire this, um, just like spout his ideas, but he actually quotes scripture. And he shows that this is what God has always wanted from the beginning to the end. The Old Testament God and the New Testament God are the same. They've always desired mercy, not sacrifice. The quote, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is from Hosea 6 6. And the teachers of law know this. <laughs> so Jesus is also kind of playing the context game too, and he's going to the context of the Pharisees and saying, Look at the scriptures, look at what the God of the Old Testament, look, look at what our God is saying. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so at this point, my third point is that really, yeah, that Jesus desires costly love over careful ritual. So at this point, some of us still don't really connect with the story. Some of us might even feel mad and indifferent, even especially if we start to connect the story with our lives, right? Because there are Matthews in our lives. There's been people who have oppressed us, who have exploited us, who have stolen from us, right? Maybe even right now we're struggling with that kind of stuff. And then Jesus is hanging out with them, the people who are hurting us, What's going on here? There is sin in this thing, right? It doesn't go, did Jesus forget that Matthew hurt people? What's going on? Did Jesus forget that there's, there's people hurting us right now? At this point in the story, we need to be careful and ask the question, are we the Pharisees in this story? So on the next slide, I just have a couple of questions. That are we identifying with the Pharisees and really casting judgment upon the people around us? See, God's heart has always been to use the insignificant for his greater glory. People like Matthew, people who we think are eccentric, weird, different, or even people who, are, who have hurt us or have been mean to us, right? Do we have the eyes of God that sees past the sin, past the exteriors, past all the appearances and anything? He sees what they, they could be. I think we need to shift our focus. Because the truth of the matter is, we're all Matthews. When we, when we side with the Pharisees, it's easier to, to judge and to really push God off his throne. When we side with the Pharisees, we, we try to act as God. We don't trust God with his judgment. We say, I know what's right. I know the judgments. I know what's best. They should be judged. They should be judged. God, you're not right. I'm, I can judge better than you. But I believe the right way to look at this story is to realize that we are the Matthews in this story. We all come from a history of sin. We all come from a lineage of sin. No one escapes that. And to be honest, if we're all, if we're all honest with ourselves, we all struggle with judgment too, right? We've all made that sin where we judge others, we look down upon others, we don't give people a chance. All of us are Matthews. All of us struggle with insecurities too, right? All of us have some form uh, we're just saying we're not good enough, you know. If only I was this loud, or if only I was this charismatic, you know. If only I had this certain appearance, this height, this weight. If I only looked this certain way, then I then I'd be accepted. 
we struggle with these insecurities that we just don't have enough. I just had enough of this. And in the midst of this, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our insecurities, of all this big mess that we have, this is what Jesus says to us. Hey, you. I want to get to know you. I want to be with you. Follow me. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your friends. Let's hang out. Because I care about you. See, we're not the Pharisees. We don't have to be the Pharisees in the story. We can realize that we're the Matthews. We're the ones that are struggling and are not accepted. That Jesus loves us still. Jesus does not cast judgment upon us. Jesus loves us and wants to get to know us. Jesus initiates the conversation with us. Jesus intersects with our life. And Jesus says, mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, I will costly love you. I will not bind you guys to careful ritual. And see, when we place ourselves not with the Pharisees in Matthew's role, then we have the power to love other Matthews in our lives. When we've known that we've experienced and received radical love from God, then we can give radical love to those who have hurt us, who are different from us. So we mustn't get the story wrong, though. Again, at this point, no, this, that's the gospel story, right? That God loves us and he desires mercy over sacrifice. But there's still the sin issue, right? Matthew still has oppressed people. We are still hurt. What's going on here, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm confident, if you look back at the scriptures, right? Even before this, Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about sin a lot. He really heightened the standards for perfection. Jesus, for sure, at this point, has demonstrated he hates sin. And he wants to deal with this sin issue. And I think because Jesus hates sin so much, he wanted to transform the sinner. And from this story, we know that Matthew was transformed. Right there in the next chapter, in chapter 10, in um, the first three verses, we see that Jesus calls his 12 disciples. The 12 disciples who stay by Jesus no matter what happens. Even when the crowds leave, even when the show ends, these are the 12 disciples that stay with him, that go out and preach his word to the ends of the earth. And who amongst them are on the 12 disciples? You look right there. It's Matthew, the tax collector, right? He's right there. He's the one that stays by. He's the one that's the evangelist, the discipler, and he's the one that writes the gospel that we're reading about right now. From a tax collector who's oppressed people to now the author of the gospel that we're reading today in 2015, Matthew was transformed. Matthew was, was totally different and has been transformed by Jesus' love. I think... You know, Jesus is calling us to love the Matthews in our lives. And if that's not enough of a reason, I think that's the primary reason we should follow him, right? Um, but if that's not enough of a reason, at least this should be, right? Like, the transformation that we get to see and experience, that's the prize that we have when we love the, the people around us, when we love our friends, um, and the people that are just not given a chance. So... Um, I've talked about the Jesus. I've talked about the judgment. I think I'm going to talk about Jigglypuff now. <laughs> and so if you guys don't know, um, Jigglypuff is this little little creature here. He's my, uh, one of my favorite little toys growing up. And so Jigglypuff is from this Japanese cartoon, Pokemon. I'm sure many of you guys know about it. Um, and so Pokemon is this popular Japanese cartoon, this game. And there's a lot of little creatures called the Pokemons. And they hang out with the, they battle and they hang out with the humans, all this kind of stuff. And so one of the, the creatures is called Jigglypuff. And so I was talking to my girlfriend one day about Jigglypuff and how much I love her and so much. And we were watching like YouTube clips about her. And my girlfriend talks to me. He's like, I don't really like Jigglypuff. Jigglypuff's really annoying. 
because what happens in the show is that Jigglypuff wants to be a diva. She wants to be like a superstar, like the next Lady Gaga. And so what she does, she grabs her microphone and she finds a little place to sing and she starts to sing this great and beautiful lullaby. And the problem is, she sings this great lullaby and everyone falls asleep. And so when she's done singing, she opens her eyes and, what the heck? Everyone's asleep. And she thinks like everyone's disrespecting her, no one really cares. She gets really mad, she takes her marker out and starts to draw on people's faces. Um, so my girlfriend is really mad, like, what, Jigglypuff's so stupid. Like, then she can't, then can't she just realize she's just, so like, she sings a lullaby, she's drawing people's faces, and so I was kind of just messing around with her, and I was just saying, like, no, you don't understand. Jigglypuff is a misunderstood character. She's a very tragic character. Because you think about it, you know, Jigglypuff, she, all she wants to do is be accepted, right? She just wants to be a superstar and be a diva. But she doesn't know that she sings a great lullaby. No one gives her a chance. No one initiates a conversation, right? No one intersects with her life and befriends her to talk to her about this kind of stuff, right? Because in the end, Jigglypuff is very talented at singing, but she's just using her powers in the wrong way, right? What if someone talked to her and said, Jigglypuff, you know, you, you sing a great lullaby. Uh, you, sing, you sing well, but you sing great lullabies. You know, what if she could use her powers for, like, the nursery, right? Or to help people who are stressed and can't sleep, right? That would be a great story, right? Jigglypuff could finally use her powers for good, but, I mean, it's a cartoon show, and of course, Jigglypuff is a running gag, and everyone keeps running away from her, right? No one gives her a chance. It's, it's just really funny. Um, but while I was talking to my girlfriend, I was just thinking, like, wow, um, I tried to, I made a little deep, like, dang, there are probably Jigglypuffs in our lives, right? <laughs> there are people in our lives who actually have great talents, who, who could be used, use those talents for, great, for God's great glory. But unfortunately, we don't give them a chance. They're misunderstood, and we just run away from them. Right? And it's just like the story of Matthew. Matthew was, had, had such great talent and eventually was the writer of the gospel, right? And no one gave him a chance. No one initiated a conversation. No one intersected with his life. But Jesus did. Jesus loved Matthew. And Jesus gave Matthew a chance. Matthew took it. Matthew received it and was transformed through it. I wish the same was for Jigglypuff, but unfortunately, that doesn't happen in the show. So, um, yeah, the reason why I asked the question at the beginning was to really start to think about our own lives, too, about the people in our lives. And I really think that the people in important in our lives, if you look back to, like, when we, you guys, when you first met the people, whether it's your best friends, your family members, all that kind of stuff, I think we can all agree that it's not as clean and neat as we think it is, Right? Usually it's a random occurrence. Usually it's not so nice, or maybe the person's like seems too different or eccentric. But somehow, some some way, you guys start to get along. You, their friendship grows, and somehow you become best friends, right? It becomes very close friends. And I wonder how many of those people, how many Matthews are in our lives, how many Jigglypuffs are in our lives um, that are just waiting to receive God's love, receiving love from us. We just don't give them a chance. I, there's like. Th- I, I'm definitely guilty of judging people and closing the doors on so many people. Um, and if I look back and think about the best friends of my life, every single one of them, I've always closed the door when I first met them. I just judged them. I said, they're too weird. They're, they're too different. Um, and by God's grace, I somehow got reconnected with them. And now I'm, I'm really good friends with them. Uh, I think I have time. I can tell a quick story about how I first met my girlfriend. And it's a very, it's a very silly story. Again, another Jigglypuff kind of story. Um, where it's two years ago when during my fellowship meeting, 
uh, we wanted to welcome the new, new freshmen into um, the campus and into our fellowship, right? We wanted to welcome them into the Christian community. And so we held this ice cream social. Giving out free ice cream, college students love that. And so when we were at the event, I was trying to, like, greet people, love people, those who are new. And I saw this girl standing by next to the, the, the table with the ice cream. So I said, okay, no one's talking to her. I should go greet her and make, her, make sure she feels welcome. I go over and I talk to her, and she looks really intense. I just remember her having really fierce eyebrows, looking really, really mad. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on? I was honestly very intimidated. I think she was wearing black. I, I, I don't even know. Like, it just looked very like, intense, like, oh my gosh. Um, so I'm going to her, I'm talking, like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And she's giving me like, really, like, like, really quick and sassy remarks. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, oh, don't have mercy, like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just trying to reach out to her and all that kind of stuff. I invite her to my small group, hey, like, next Tuesday, I, I lead a Bible study, you should check it out. And I just leave it as that, and, like, that's it. I, don't, I never expect to see her again. And lo and behold, next Tuesday, she comes, she comes to the Bible study. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's here, what the heck? And so, as time goes on, every week, she starts to come to the Bible study over and over again. And I start to realize she's not um, as intimidating as I thought. She definitely does still have fierce eyebrows, but she turns out to be very, very bright, very, very bubbly, and just um, has a, a rich history and all this kind of stuff. She starts to open up. Um, she turns out to be very cute, um, and I start to fall in love with her. And blah 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 blah. blah. She she's now um, my girlfriend for over a year now. Um, but I mean, I love that story because in the beginning, like man, she was this very intimidating, right? And I could have definitely judged her and said, okay, she's too scary, I'm not going to talk to her, someone else, right, or whatever. Um, but that moment, I, I had to take a risk. I wanted to, to welcome her into this Christian community. And from that, I developed a great relationship with her, and which turned out to become a romantic relationship, right? And I'm not saying this is uh, some kind of model for romantic relationships. I could say the story about my roommate. I could say a story about all these different friends that I now have great relationships um, I'm sure you guys could too, right? I bet you guys have stories about you have very uh, friends who you guys would never expect to be friends, but now they're your closest friends, right? And I think we can definitely learn from that, right? Just like how we can learn from this story of Jesus loving Matthew. That yeah, some people out there just need a chance. I'm not saying all people we give a chance to will become our best friends, right? And to be honest, many of them won't. Many of them will reject our love. We could pour our hearts out to some people and they could still reject us. What I'm saying is that God is calling us to take a risk, just like he did here. And there are people in this city who need God's love. And I believe God is calling us to take a risk to love people out there. So the last slide um, I have today um, is first, do we need to repent, actually, for being like Pharisees? I know I do. I, there are often times where I'll meet someone and I'll, I'll judge them. I, I'm not sure if I, I'll get along with them. Um, and before I even give them a chance, I start to put up barriers in my own judgment. I try to act like God already. Um, and I need to repent of that. I think many of us do repent of that too. And after that, I want us to really think about, are there Matthews and Jigglypuffs in our life, amongst our coworkers, amongst um, our, the students that are in our classes? Uh, even friends that, that uh, we've known for a long time, but we just never gave them a chance. Are there people around this that... I think that God's calling us to follow him and to take a risk. Again, it's not always going to work out, right? We know that. Um, but some of it will work out, right? And I believe that if we exhibit God's love, well, we're going to see some transformation. We'll see more examples in Matthews. I believe also the final point is just that I think Jesus shows us the model to do that, right? When we find these people, it's, just, it's, it's not as complicated as we think. Of course, it's, um, relationships are 
um, much more colorful and complex, but to start it off, I really believe it's just initiating conversation just like Jesus did, to intersect with their life, to ask them, hey, what do you care about? What are your hobbies? And to share your own hobbies too, right? Um, to share about your own life. And to really put mercy and love above our judgments. Yeah. So that's the end of the sermon. You guys should just bow in prayer with me as we close out. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you just for today, God, that, <laughs> um, man, I, God, I know that I came from a history of just being um, a brat, and just um, being so unworthy to be loved, and, um, just bullying other people, just, um, just so awkward and eccentric, God, but people, Christians gave me a chance, Christians showed love to me, and because of that, I was transformed by your love, God, I thank you that every single one of us, God, can experience God's love and has experienced God's love to some extent. Um, and God, I pray that you, we would be people that are like Matthew, would receive your love today, God, and receive um, what you want to pour into us today. And from receiving from you, that we would also be like you, God, that we all go out there and to love those um, in our communities, love the Jigglypuffs, love the Matthews in our lives, God, and to give them a chance. God, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit to do that. Because I'm sure that we're going to feel scared. We're going to feel um, judgment again, all that kind of stuff. But I pray that your Holy Spirit will be stronger than any of that, God. And that we will be your people to love those around us, God. May you transform us today, God. You are a good God, and we love you so much, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.